Hello, listeners. This podcast is hosted by International Idea. In the next minutes, we will help you make sense of what's happening today with democracy around the world. Let's check on democracy's achievements and challenges using comparative global data and expert analysis. Hello, and welcome to International Ideas' new podcast, Democracy Ideas. My name is Laura Thornton, Director of Global Program. As part of the broader podcast, I'm doing a segment focused on democratic functions in the time of the COVID pandemic called Democracy, Six Feet Apart. This series will examine innovative methods on political mobilizing, constituent outreach, campaigning, and civic advocacy during the time of a pandemic. What can MPs, parties, civic actors do to reach people? And how can people participate in the democratic process with social distancing in place? Hopefully, this pod will inspire others by providing some creative examples and lessons learned. Today is May 22nd, and I have with me Justin Ween, the Chief of Staff for U.S. Congressman David Price from North Carolina. Across the United States, States have adopted measures during the pandemic, including sheltering in place and social distancing, completely altering the way the U.S. Congress functions. How can Congress people and their offices stay in touch with constituents? How is casework handled? How can members conduct oversight? I'm delighted to have Justin here to reflect on all of this. Welcome and thank you, Justin. Thanks, Laura. Good to see you. So first, I'd like to ask about constituent work. Um, how are you maintaining contact? Have you employed new methods to engage, both to get your message across as well as to receive inputs from the public? How are you running your bureau office? Yeah, so I mean, um, mostly the way we did before COVID, uh, just entirely virtually now. Um, so everyone's jobs are still the same. Um, for our North Carolina staff, we have uh, a number of people who, who are solely there to provide casework and to aid um, the congressman's constituents in accessing services and benefits from the federal government. And those people are going about doing their job. Um, they're just doing it remotely now. Um, Congress uh, is one of the uh, slower moving beasts in terms of technology and rules changes. Um, but in this instance, they actually moved very quickly and uh, passed rule change right before things shut down to allow us to buy telework equipment for anyone using uh, 2019 money, which was about to expire. Um, and so we bought a laptop for every member of our staff. It is hooked into the house um, and they've got access to everything they would if they were at their computer screen. Um, so we've mostly been able to go about doing our, our jobs and um, serving the people of the 4th Congressional District the same way. Um, the biggest adjustment has honestly been how we handle the congressman. Um, and he has done uh, a series of Zoom town halls. Um, we've done, they've been mostly geographically uh, based uh, amongst the three counties that he represents. Um, we did one enormous virtual town hall that was open to all of our constituents. Um, but he is uh, as active as he's ever been. We're just doing it all virtually. That's incredible. How how were the town halls? I mean, were they sort of awkward or were people engaged? Uh, no, people were definitely engaged. And I think people were very thankful. I mean, in, in this environment and North Carolina, the governor was very quick to um, proactively uh, 
put steps in place to limit the spread. Um, the counties have a lot of uh, authority in North Carolina as well, and they followed suit. So, I mean, all three of our counties were shut down pretty rapidly. Um, and the congressman felt it was incumbent upon himself to follow those orders as well, um, with the exception of the two times he came up to vote. Um, so we have not sent him out. Um, he's, he's trying to lead by example the same way the governor is. Um, and uh, so he, he the the... The, re- the reception he's gotten has been excellent. I don't know um, that anyone is doing as uh, the number of broad-based touches that he's doing, um, but that's always what he's done. I mean, four years ago, we did, I think, 13 town halls in one congressional calendar, which, I, so far as I'm aware, is the most that anyone had done in Congress. So um, that's always been been the way we've operated. Uh, in terms of our large, big town hall that was open to everyone, um, at our peak, I think we had something like 4,000 people on the line, which for a virtual um, tele-town hall um, is is pretty high. And even at the end, with you know, we had gone basically two hours, uh, and even at the end, we still had a couple hundred people on the line. Um, so it's been it's been very um, people have welcomed it. There's a lot of questions about what the federal response has been here, and a lot of problems with the federal response. And so um, people are hungry for answers. I can't imagine that's actually an impressive number. Um, it actually leads me sort of to my next question, which is about scrutiny. Um, you know, again, keeping in mind this is sort of a global audience for the pod, I was wondering if you could reflect quite broadly on sort of the practical matter of working and going to the office, which you can't really do, um, but your ability to conduct oversight, and given that you've been hampered, you know, with face-to-face questioning is limited, and also the measures taken by governments during this time are often rushed and difficult to monitor. Um, what have you done to get around, what has your office done to get around these challenges? What approaches have you used to hold the government to account and communicate your perspective to citizens? Yeah, I mean, the on the first point of how we hold people to account, it's, it's hard in this environment. I mean, every agency is on COVID response as well for themselves and for the public. So, um, you know, I without being too political, I mean, this administration has not exactly been the most open and forthcoming with uh, with the House in the best of times. Um, and COVID has basically been an excuse for them to just not communicate anything. Um, in terms of oversight, though, I mean, Congress has taken a couple steps to try to conduct broad-based oversight of, of the COVID response. The first is the House creating um, uh, this panel that, that Majority Whip Clyburn will uh, will chair. Um, and then we also set up a, a sort of broad-based oversight panel that the four leaders in the House and Senate get to appoint people to. And they already put a report out last week about um, uh, about some of the response. Um, agency by agency, though, I mean, people are still conducting their normal business. I mean, Mr. Price chairs the subcommittee responsible for essentially infrastructure, um, which is transportation and housing and urban development. Um, he and the ranking member sent a letter to Secretary Carson just this week on um, some concerns they had. So the the ability to conduct oversight is there. The willingness of the agency to be responsive might be somewhat limited. But for the most part, for appropriators, which is um, where the, the U.S. federal dollars come through, is the Appropriations Committee, agencies 
are almost always responsive because they know it's to their to their benefit to be responsive to the committee. If they're not, then the secretary is not going to get a project that he or she cares about. or They're not going to be able to make the investments that they want. So for the most part, we've been able to to maintain uh, that relationship with the agencies we directly oversee. But it's it's a massive undertaking right now. And certainly not being in person um, makes it more difficult. It's not it's it's not impossible, but it makes it more difficult and it makes it a little bit more formal. I mean, at this point, you have these established relationships through budget offices and through committees and through member offices. And you can have in-person engagements that even when uh, from opposite parties or opposite branches, uh, they don't need to be antagonistic, even if you disagree when you're in person. Doing it virtually makes it a little bit more formal, um, inherently can make it a little bit more combative. Um, but, that, you know, that that's not our style overall. But um, I think everyone just gets their spine up a little bit when they're doing something virtually. Well, it's also, I mean, just given the amounts of money that are going out the yeah. door so quickly. Um, and yeah. given sort of and there's been massive problems with them. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the small business program has been very, very poorly administered with no um, no answers for why they are prioritizing who they are. How can you thread the needle of being supportive during a sensitive time of crisis, but maintain scrutiny? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult right now, and it's difficult to be in the majority as well. I mean, decisions that would ordinarily be done in a collaborative or group manner or compromises that would be reached on things um, through caucus meetings, conference meetings, those things can't be conducted the same way. Um, I think uh, for the minority in the House, uh, you know, it is politics is the name of the game. You want to take over the majority. Um, that's always how it's been, whether, you know, we were in the majority or in the minority. It, we are, the House is a little bit more, um, a little bit more political than the Senate historically, a little bit more um, partisan, trigger happy, you know, however, however you want to say it. Um, I think on the pack, the big packages that have been signed into law, I think it's been clear that everyone wants to work together. What hasn't been clear um is the incremental adjustments in between and and why from from my perspective why the minority has not been um uh happier to go along with those i'll use the biggest change that that we made which was last week um for the first time ever the house voted to allow proxy voting um just uh just in this covid window um 45 days um it is at the um, the sergeant at arms has to certify that there's a national emergency going on to the speaker. Um, and the Republicans dragged their feet on, on putting that in place, what those procedures would be, and then ultimately voted against it. Um, and there's no other reason to do that other than politics. They want to be here to show that they are quote unquote working for people as though we can't work remotely like everyone else is. Um, and it was purely a partisan move. It, it had nothing to do with actually governing. It was just politics. Um, so I, I get where that concern would come from if you're uh, if you're the minority. But I would say the same is true for the majority. It's very difficult to strategize right now. Um, open, uh, you know, typically in a caucus uh, meeting, it would be sort of an open back and forth of questions from members. Um, that's a lot harder to do on on telephone, you know, on teleconferences. Um, 
the Democratic caucus and the Republican conference, as they call it, still are meeting virtually multiple times a week. Um, but you can't have the exact you can't have the same type type of back and forth. Um, staff can't have the same type of back and forth. So it, it's just a lot more difficult to conduct business. Um, I think all of our Democratic members, um, especially those who have who have been in the trenches and have been around a while, have full faith in Speaker Pelosi. She's proven herself time and time again to be a, a master strategist and negotiator. Um, and our members continue to have full faith in her. Um, but it's got to be difficult for uh, her even to fully engage the caucus and get everyone's ideas in this setting. Absolutely. Um, it also leads me to this thought about 2020 uh, elections, that is. How, I mean, given that we just don't see an end in sight, um, the vaccine, a vaccine will take a long time. How do you anticipate, are you already thinking about, is Congressman Price already thinking about how he's going to campaign in this environment without door to door, without canvassing, without rallies? It is rough. It is rough. And look, North Carolina, um, as Mr. Price says regularly, will remain a net importer of political ads. Um, we've got a governor's race right now. We've got a Senate race and we are um, consistently a, a battleground state for the presidential. So um, it's something everyone's trying to figure out right now. Um, I don't I don't have a, a quick answer for you. I mean, I think the mail in ballot situation uh, is the safest route to go. Um, it's been done effectively in a number of states. Um, you know, the only Republican to really push back on President Trump's um, insane claims on mail-in ballots was was Senator Romney, who pointed out that 90% of people from Utah vote mail-in, and those are predominantly Republicans. Um, and Megan McCain the other day pointed out that 70% of uh, people in Arizona vote by mail. So, um, you know, voting by mail does, is not... Voted by mail. And right. And, and, you know, I voted by mail absentee a number of times as well because I've often been out on campaign during actual election day. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a safe and effective way for the public to vote. What it means for actually mobilizing people, I don't know that anyone has the answer to that yet. I know President Trump is already talking about doing rallies. Um, I, you know, I'm sure President Biden's team is talking about that as well. I think once the summer rolls around, you will see um, a little bit more retail politicking. I think people wear masks, um, but I, I think you'll see, especially those members who are vulnerable or challengers who are in districts that are win- winnable, I think they will start to retail politicking. It's not going to be the same. You're not going to have parades and all that the same way you normally would, but I think people will still go to whatever they're Main Street is and and uh, attempt to connect with voters and businesses. Um, it'll just be a little more awkward because people will be in masks. Um, you'll see an enormous digital operation. I mean, President Trump already had one and has utilized it. Um, Vice President Biden's team is is growing their operation. Um, you've seen the the DNC has put an enormous amount of money into the ground game already. Um, so, I mean, a lot of those measures will still will still pay off, but I don't know. Um, I don't know if there'll be like a singular moment or two that translates on television the way you would. Add. I mean, I don't know that we're having conventions. Um, I don't know that we're having these massive rallies where, you know, former president Obama comes out and, and rallies a hundred thousand college students at, uh, at a campus or anything like that. I just, it might happen. I just don't know that it will or when it will be able to. 
Um, but the, the flip side of that is um, I think more Americans than ever are actually paying attention to what their government is doing and want to be able to exercise their vote. And so, you know, you may not have a traditional campaign, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll have lower voter interest. Um, and people want the ability to vote and, and have their, um, have their vote counted. Uh, and I think you'll actually see enormous turnout in whatever form that looks like. I know where I live in Maryland, they are proactively mailing people, uh, uh, absentee registration forms. And that's happening in a lot of states as well. The thing that concerns me is that, um, given the, at, at a minimum scaled back for sure, if not uh, completely wiped out the sort of door to door, the shuffle, the volunteers. It seems that that would give an advantage to those who have the the money. They can run the big TV ads and can do all the digital work and all, you know. So one of my concerns is that the campaigns that rely more sort of on human resources and volunteers might be affected more negatively. Is Is that something you think as well? Yeah, I think that's um, it's a huge concern. I think, um, look, incumbency always has built-in advantages, um, and that that will probably be uh, an even larger advantage this time around um, because you have the infrastructure in place already. You have a digital team. You have, you know those types of things. Um, you know, Vice President Biden has that as well, and um, you know certainly the DNC and other members and the you know but. Yeah, I mean, incumbency always has that type of advantage, name recognition, uh, an online presence, those things. And that'll probably be magnified this time around. But I don't think they're insurmountable. Again, people are paying attention. Um, you can't escape, uh, even if you try to, much as I do from time to time, try to escape the news. Uh, you can't right now. Um, and, and you want to know what government on all levels is doing to keep you safe, keep you getting a paycheck. Uh, keep your family safe. Uh, and so I think people are, are more in touch right now than they probably have, have ever been. And that, that will probably be, uh, an even larger advantage this time around. Um, because you have the infrastructure in place already. You have a digital team. You have, you know, those types of things. Um, you know, Vice President Biden has that as well. And, um, you know, certainly the DNC and other members and the, you know, but yeah, I mean, incumbency always has that type of advantage, name recognition, uh, an online presence, those things. And that'll probably be magnified this time around. But I don't think they're insurmountable. Again, people are paying attention. Um, you can't escape, uh, even if you try to, much as I do from time to time, try to escape the news. Uh, you can't right now. Um, and, and you want to know what government on all levels is doing to keep you safe, keep you getting a paycheck, uh, keep your family safe. Uh, and so I think people are, are more in touch right now than they probably have, have ever been. That's that is, and that hopefully will result in the turnout that we need, although hopefully safe turnout and not a Wisconsin, uh, situation, which was. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for, for states that have early voting, it'll probably be a little easier. Um, I think a lot of places will take advantage of early voting. Um, but you also don't want the early voting sites to be overwhelmed with people. So, um, you know, states need to lay out a plan early, communicate it effectively. Uh, and, and 
you know, I think everyone um, come November, uh, hopefully we are in a better place where people um, have gotten used to the social distancing. People have gotten used to the masks. I think it's hard right now because people have been in lockdown for a month or two. So as states are opening up, people want their freedom first and foremost. Um, but, you know, as we go through summer and people have adjusted to the new normal, um, hopefully by November we can conduct even in person uh, safely socially distanced elections where people are following the rules. Yeah. Well, and there's it's not as much, it hopefully won't be as much a shock to the system by then. Yeah. And there's precedent. I mean, South Korea, they pulled off an election, which was mostly yeah. in person because they had organization, great degree of trust. People have faith and trust in the government to protect them in the yeah. National Election Commission. And they provided information and they had good preparation. And so, you know, there are models to to look to. Um, so I hope I hope we have time. So I hope that we get yeah. together. I think the honestly, I think the, the biggest question mark for conducting in-person um, elections here will be who the election poll workers are because um, in many locations around the, the U.S., it is our senior citizens who help do this. And that's our most vulnerable po population during COVID. So um, that to me is the biggest question mark is if you're going to have in-person voting, um, are you going to have seniors willing to put themselves at risk uh, to do, you know, the, the patriotic job of helping people vote? Indeed. All difficult questions, Justin. Um, thank you so much for these insights. And, uh, and it sounds like you guys are managing quite well. And I really appreciate you talking to me. And we're going to be gathering all these stories from people like you, but from across the globe, just to get sort of a different picture of how, how people are carrying out the work of the legislature during this time. So I really thank you for taking the time and thank Congressman Price on my behalf for letting me borrow you for 20 or so minutes. Yeah, my pleasure. It was, uh, it was great to talk to you and uh, stay safe. You too. Wash your hands and stay safe. Take yes. care. Yes, thank you. Thank you for your time and keep following International Idea on social media. We can be found on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. We need all of you to participate in constructing better societies. Goodbye.